Welcome to the Living It Up podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Living It Up podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. Today, we have a really special episode. We're going to talk with Andrew Kirby. He's actually joining us from down under in Melbourne, Australia, to share his perspective. As someone who is super plugged into Australian golf, he served as actually the captain and chairman of the Royal Melbourne Golf Club, site of the 2019 President's Cup. So we're super excited to have Andrew join the podcast. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction, the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. You know you need some gear to better manage the elements, so head to zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for a very generous 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I am joined by George and PGA Tour veteran Billy Hurley III. You know, guys, I I talked about this interview being quite cool. You know, he's not just someone who is a golf fan, but also super plugged into Australian golf, as I mentioned, captain and chairman of of Royal Melbourne. You know, he's also a lawyer, which, George, I I joke with you often. It makes you guys really well suited to weigh in on on what's happening these days. Yeah, I I thought he he brought some really great insights to um, what's going on with Liv, uh, the U.S. lawsuit. Rory and Tiger's recent comments and, and also really thoughtful on what's going on with the DP tour lawsuit. Uh, so I, I was blown away. This guy was great to talk to super grounded down to earth cat. And um, one of probably the most fun episodes I think we've done so far. Yeah, no question, George. He was uh very thoughtful, very intelligent, well-read, well, um, you know, new nuances about the professional game and about the about the club game and about the state of Australian golf. I mean, I think, you know, him him talking about Cam Smith is 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 what really jumped out to me and just what Cam means to Australia and and kind of how almost Cam is becoming uh, you know, Greg Norman 2.0 from a from a fan perspective. Uh, in Australia. So uh, we've said it here before that that as American fans, we don't give golf enough credit for being a global game. And this just really drew out how much uh, the the Australian fan is is longing for golf. And, and, and we'll get to hear more of Andrew's thoughts on that. Well, hey, no, I agree with you guys. This is a really unique episode and a really cool episode. So without any further ado, let's get to the interview with Andrew. Uh, welcome, Andrew Kirby, to the Living It Up podcast. We are really pumped to have you on for a number of reasons, uh, not the least of which is you provide a, a down-under perspective, being someone that is you know native to 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 Melbourne and Australia, and you can provide us a, a bit of color onto you know how how live golf is perceived, how the golf landscape and it's shifting underneath us is is seen it, it, from an Australian perspective, and so. You know, you have a very cool title. I, 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 I joked with George earlier, a barrister is a much cooler way to say lawyer. I really like that. And so you were a barrister down there in Australia. I'd first love you to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and about about your place in the game. Sure. Um, well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Um, excited to be um, talking about it. Love to talk about golf. Yeah, look, I, I was lucky enough to grow up about a 9-9 from Royal Melbourne Golf Club. So I had a, a misspent youth they're playing in, in a golfing family. My father was was a president of the Victorian Golf Association and heavily involved in golf administration and tournaments. And so it was sort of in the blood. The golf was in the blood. Um, I was lucky enough to win a, a club championship at the Royal Melbourne. I was uh, younger and had hair. It was a long time ago now. 
um, and sort of saw all, I'd seen all the golf tournaments from the early 80s on in Melbourne. Probably, probably what really turned me to golf was seeing Seve Ballesteros in the early 80s, Royal. I mean, the, just the movie star look and just the, the coolness and swagger and his play. Um, and then obviously the the shark and and Faldo and all the Australians, you know, the lot. So that's that was my background with um with golf. And then uh, you know, I, I played a high level amateur golf, state golf, uh, but decided I was probably gonna make more money as a lawyer, which I was studying. Um, yeah, you said barrister. We probably I think I think the equivalent over there is trial attorney. The barristers tend to do the court work appearances and uh, the like, which I was interested in watching that live um court appearance earlier in the year in California. That was that was sort of pretty interesting to to watch that. It wasn't that different to how it happens here. Uh the judge had a bit of a view, it was a pretty hard time. It'll be interesting to see that develop. And um yeah, so otherwise I'm um uh, yeah, very, very connected and excited about Australian and world golf, just a golf lover like you guys. So, and following the live developments pretty, pretty closely down here. Well, before we jump into to live, I think it's important, you know, our listeners, uh, you know, are, are catching us at a really cool time on, you know, for Australian golf. We just finished up with the Australian PGA last week. Cameron Smith comes home, you know, his first time home in many years, actually due to COVID. Um, re- received almost with a hero's welcome as as the Open champion, I'd imagine. You know, I, we saw a lot of uh, press coverage, a lot of activity on social media, and he comes home and he wins. I'm curious to 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 get us started. Like, what's been the the reception of Cameron Smith uh, in, in Australia these last few weeks? Yeah, I mean, it's been great. I mean, I was thinking about it. I mean, Cam Smith, the probably equivalent for your American listeners and golf is he's sort of like the he's like a Jordan Spieth. But a Queensland version. He just nobody can dislike Cam Smith. He's just he's just a really likable guy. Um, I was lucky enough to be at the Open um, on the last hole when he won, and sort of he came over the claret jug to a group of loud Aussies who cheering, and then he you know he put on a party. He's the sort of guy you know he puts on parties for the caddies. Um, you know, after he won last week, he was at the sort of local pub. There's a play on social media with just his friends. He's not a guy who's going to go and wine and dine at the high level. He's just a, he's just a knockabout guy uh, who's very close to his friends. I, th- I think the story is every time he wins a tournament, he puts he shouts everyone at his home club in Queensland a, uh, a drink behind the bar. So he's he's that sort of guy. So he look he got a he got a yeah he got a rave review. There were big crowds up there last week. It was it was getting close to the sort of. Greg Norman of the 80s, when, when he came back, it was sort of, you know, golf mania. Um, we, when we've had other stars, and Scotty is very popular, and Ogilvy, but, you know, there's certain guys really hit the level, probably partly because he won the 150th Open. It was just such a famous event to win. Um, so, no, his reception was great. And then to get the job done uh, with, you know, he had the Greg Norman medal on the Tuesday night. He had media. He, he did a doing clinics, you know, there's a lot of distractions um, as Billy would know when you're preparing for a tournament, you probably don't need all that stuff, but he took all that on board. And then, yeah, he was, he was pressed. Um, he, he sort of dropped back both days from having a lead and then, and then got it done. So yeah, it was, it was a, it was a great win third, third in a row. And obviously because of COVID, he hasn't been back and yeah, Australian golf fans have been starved of, of golf. That's for sure. 
Yeah, it's interesting that he had all that going on. I didn't, you know, us just kind of watching it from a, from afar in America didn't realize all the all the media and the and the different dinners and that kind of stuff that would go on for Cam. And um, you're you're exactly right, Andrew. Like that's even makes the win even more impressive, right? To 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 come home under, um, you know, just kind of that pressure anyway of being the Open champion and 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 kind of being Australia's crown jewel at the moment and. And in in golf, and then and then to have all the added obligations and and that kind of thing. I mean, that's that's. I mean, there's there's no question. Cam Smith's one of the best in the world right now. You know, I mean, you could argue he's you know right up in there. You know, obviously he's third in the world in the world rankings, but um, he's he's playing every bit as good as number one in the world. And 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 so that's 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 some good color there for for his now you got an interesting event um this week as well so you know brian mentioned we just came off the australian pga and now we've got the australian open um combining men and women using two golf courses and multiple cuts and and so um obviously you're 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 close to that i'll, I'll let you speak a little bit more about the the unique format that you have going on um in the australian open and and i don't know how much you know about how that came about or, or, or the, the, you know, the, the genesis of, of doing it that way versus the, 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 the way it's always been done, so to speak. Yeah, sure. No, I can talk a lot about, about the background to that. Yeah. If, I mean, for those, for those listening, I guess, to lay out the format they're they're doing for the first time, the Australian open, they're having them, the men and women uh, all there together. There's a, there's a full men's field, 150 odd roughly and the women probably not quite as many but two full fields they're playing at victoria golf course and uh, kingston heath which are both on melbourne's sandbelt i mean victoria is literally next door to royal melbourne um and then kingston east you know a few k's down the road i mean they're both they're both just brilliant sandbelt courses the bunkering was done by mckenzie um 15th at Kingston is probably the best hole. It's an uphill par three that Mackenzie, that was the one hole he sort of designed and re- rerouted. I, it's not playing the 15th this week, and I'm just not sure what number it is because they've changed the routing, but it's about a it's about a hundred and sort of sixty-yard uphill par three, but it's 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 tough. But um so they're playing Thursday, Friday on both courses. Each play men and women will play one round at each. Um, they're playing in, you know, the men play in groups three, women in groups of three, but I think they alternate. Uh, they're alternating that. So if you go down as a spectator, you're seeing men, women, men, women in alternating groups. And then they're doing a cut Friday night, top 60 men, top 60 women. The Saturday will be all at Victoria, so there'll be 120 players. And then, and this is a little bit controversial, Saturday night they're doing another cut. So they're doing a cut. It'll be top 30 men, top 30 women play the Sunday. So you'll have 60 players on the course Sunday. I guess that's sort of been a bit of a talking point because obviously top 30, I mean, you, if it's a tight field, you could be five from the lead, you know, miss the cut. And so I think I think that's that's a little bit interesting. But it's basically it's modeled on the Victorian Open has had that format for quite a few years now. They've been playing down at 13th beach which is about an hour or so out of melbourne uh really nice course down the ballerine peninsula so they played that format it has been really successful they've had they've had a co-sanction with um the dp world tour european tour and some of the, at least one of the years they had the lp 
GA was co-sanctioning the women, and it was yeah, they had, it was a pretty good event. They had some really good players, so they've got a model there for it. I think part of the background is obviously, you know, the Australian Open, um, particularly in men's, is really it's just been hard the last sort of decade or so with the rise of money overseas and and the way that I guess top players have gone to the US, the wraparound tour in the US. As you guys have said, it's a long way for overseas players to come back. And then even some of the young Aussies who are trying to keep their car or get points overseas couldn't always get back. So it's it sort of struggled. The women's tournament's had a better field. Um, and it's, you know, women's golf is obviously very popular here like it is el elsewhere. But particularly when you get a better field, we've got some, you know, Minji Lee and others, Hannah Green, some great. Australian women golfers. So I think the idea was to sort of try to bring it together and give it a bit of a bit of oomph, um, something a little bit different. It, it is a bit eye-catching, I guess, like we're talking about. It does get press overseas. Um, I think spectators are really like it. So I think, um, yeah, it's an interesting format. The probably only other, not a criticism, but comment is they do, they will set the course up a little bit differently because they've got women and the men for those who haven't played sandbelt golf i mean the greens it's very fast it's sort of like inland links golf but very very firm greens normally very hard and very fast and they'll probably just they won't be quite as firm and fast this week because i think it's very difficult for the women because they just don't get the same spin on the ball um so they'll probably just soften the setup a bit um but yeah, so it'll be, I'm going in this afternoon. It'll be interesting to to see it and see how it's playing. I guess it's a little bit of a suck it and see. Scott Hand made some waves saying that you know he felt they should have their separate tournaments and and not yeah. because men and women shouldn't play together, but this is the Australian Open and there should be yeah. sort of the significance of it should not be. He felt by sort of adding this, and I don't want to say gimmick, but adding this mixed field took away from the significance that each field should get for playing in the national open for Australia was, is that sentiment shared by a lot of people down there? Uh, certainly shared by, uh, by some, I can see the merit in it. I mean, I think Scott's been a little bit hardly, you know, hard done by on social media with it. He wasn't, yeah, he wasn't trying to be at all anti-women's golf. I, there, there's merit in part of the things I just mentioned. I think those issues of the the second cut, he was pretty critical of that, and others have been as well. And you know, the just the course setup and the focus. Yeah, I mean, so there's yeah, there, that's certainly a bit of a talking point. They're, they're getting funding from uh, the government. I mean, one difference in Australian golf is it tends to be a lot of government funding over here, like the Victorian government, for example, throwing money at it. I don't know how much, but. They tend to sort of often say, yeah, we'll give you money, but it's for a men and a women's event. Like sometimes there's strings attached to the government funding as well. So there's a little bit of that. So, uh, yeah, I think we'll see how it plays out. But, um, yeah, it's a talking point. It is a talking point. And, and going back to, to Cam's win, um, Australia's, at, at least for I think a lot of Americans, Australia's always sort of been this, like very interesting place that's a world away that most of us, you know, if, if we're fortunate enough to get there, um, you know, it'd be a tremendous experience. Um, and 
there's always sort of been like a, an Australian golfer to come around. Obviously, Greg Norman um, was this incredibly larger than life figure that, you know, sort of captivated the world of golf. And then, you know, you had, I guess, Adam Scott was the next Tiger Woods. Um, and he's sort of captivated American golf. And, and now that Cam Smith's there, you know, to American fans, he was, he always seemed a little reticent. He just, he, he doesn't have that swashbuckling immediate charisma that, uh, Greg Norman had um I'm not sure that Adam Scott per se had the same charisma he was blessed with you know looks touched from God so that helps a lot yeah. um yeah. much better hair than you and I got so yeah. uh, I'll take we'll take that up with someone later and and so Cam comes along and to your point he he comes across as this just very genuine great guy what I mean him coming home to to Australia winning what what does that sort of meant to Australian golf he 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 is a, obviously a star. I, I agree. He doesn't. I mean, he doesn't have that charisma. He's almost. I think he's a guy who probably doesn't necessarily want the limelight and the microphone. He's he he, he can't. You know, he's sort of relatively shy in that public limelight. But I think I think he'll develop with, with that. But um, I think a bit like when you know when when the shark was was big. You know, the participation rates in in Australian golf went you know through the roof and. I think that's there's a lot of talk with that. I mean, golf, golf over here, it's you know, look, it's very popular, but it has struggled a little bit with getting that younger generation. Partly because that seems a bit slow and it's a bit fuddy daddy, and it's you know, I go and play uh, a quicker sport, a more um, energetic, fitness based sport. So he's, but so I think he is a good role model. He's sort of in a funny way making golf cooler i think he really appeals to the younger generation and he sort of i can see when you look at him on his celebrations and social media i can see how he connects with the live i mean he genuinely enjoys that fun side of live that some people are critical of but um you know at the end of the day like particularly for spectators and players i know i know it's different if you're playing for you as a professional but it is meant to be fun you go to a sporting event whether it's football um or tennis or golf yeah you, know, you want to have fun and he seems to embrace that had a party hole sort of a, a a smaller version of um you know uh the waste management 16th hole i had that on the 17th last week and and the crowd there interacting and having a drink and and he really embraced that he enjoyed that not everybody loves it but he did so so i think i think he's great for driving golf particularly the younger generation. Are you, are you, when you say the younger generation, are you starting to see some of his haircuts show up at the club with the juniors? Yeah. yeah. There. Oh yeah. boy. I mean, <laughs> I, mean the, I mean, yeah, I mean, the mullet just looks horrible. I mean, my mother says, Oh, he's, I love Cam Smith. He's such a good golfer. I just wish I could cut his hair. And although I sort of get it now, he, he just, um, well, he partly does it because he's a big rugby fan. That's what they, the sport that's revered in Queensland it's sort of he's sort of got a bit of a reverence too that he sort of doesn't care. I mean, seeing him walk up the 18th at St Andrews with the R and A, the backdrop with their jackets and ties on, and I'm not being critical of that, but it's all very proper. And here's this guy with a mullet just walking up, calmly <laughs> putting out. It was like I, it, it, I enjoyed it. I like that. I sort of like, like that. It is it is different. So it it's sort of a little bit 
subtly anti-establishment, I think, in his own way. Kind of like when Ricky Fowler made all the eight-year-olds wear flat-brim caps, you, you, you know, in the in 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 the U.S. here. So that, that yeah. was the first thing that came to my mind. You know, Cam's haircut coming down into the club golfers at, at 10, 12 years old. That's 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 terrific. Um, before we started recording, you had talked about your involvement with the 2019 President's Cup at, at Royal yeah. Melbourne, and. I think, honestly, as a golf fan, that might have been one of the first times I'd seen that place on TV. And with, you know, no hyperbole, it was like, oh, my gosh, like, I have to get there and we have to see this on TV way more. I mean, that, and so you, with what you had mentioned earlier with the the new schedule for the PGA and, and things that sort of kept giving options to not go to Australia, in, in your opinion, what would be some things that could help bring people back to Australian golf? Because as a, as a viewer on TV, if I know that course and I'm going to watch the the open here when we get off here tonight, I mean, I will watch that course. I'm, I'm the kind of fan that almost enjoys watching great courses as much as I enjoy the great golfers that are on them. So what do you think could help bring golf at a large level back to Australia? Yeah, well, on your point, I, I'm the same. I, I love watching great courses. I, I think, you know, I love it when when the PJ tours at Riviera, for example, because you know it and you know the design. I mean, I love watching Tory Pines. I know not everybody, I haven't played it. No, nobody raves about the course, but it, it just, some courses. Don't bother. Don't bother playing don't bother. Tory Pines. Like I, I'm, you know, with all due respect to, to that place yeah. and Tigers won 100 times there. I can't break 80 there. So it's just way too hard. Yeah, I mean, maybe some courses just a little bit on they're a little bit more. I don't know. They come across on TV, or you get to know them. I, th- I think so. Yeah, coming back to getting events. I mean, again, as I touched on before. So look, it is phenomenal having the President's uh, Cup um, every probably eight or ten years in, a, in in Australia. But again, that that is only happening because the Victorian governments. Throwing their major events committee, Visa Victoria is throwing a lot of money at it to get it because they get you know a lot of international rivals, golf tourism is sort of a part of the package in Victoria. So the government is pushing that, and that that does work. I mean, particularly it's coming back now, but pre-pandemic we were starting to get a lot more American tourists. They come to New Zealand, then they come to Melbourne, and then a lot of them are going down to Tasmania to King Island, Cape Wickham, and and then sort of doing a loop. It is a big trip, but I guess it's a once-in-a-lifetime trip. It's a bit like an Australian going to Ireland or something. It's a long way, but you do it. So I, I think uh, obviously there's that. There's 28 President's Cups coming to Melbourne. It's I, I don't think it's any secret that it's going to go to Kingston Heath. That's not official, but I think that's, you know, there's been newspaper articles here. That's oh, highly likely, which is a phenomenal golf course as well and equally good to to watch on. Um, I, th- I think the other thing, obviously, Liv, Liv are going to Adelaide um, for four years to the Grange on, a, on an agreement, which, again, was supported by the government there. But that doesn't mean at the end of that it couldn't come to Mel- Melbourne. So I, I could see that. I can see that happening. So that that's a plus, I think, for Liv just to get big event with the top players. I was thinking about it. I mean, guys like Brooks. I don't think Brooks has ever played in Australia. Um, DJ probably only in the President's Cup and, you know, these sort of guys, you just don't get to see them 
um, um, uh, unless you know it's a, well, it's been a President's Cup or a live. And then I, I think the I think the other piece with it all is is the is the Asian tour. I mean, Liv's going to pump money into the Asian tour <clears throat> and make these Asian international series events five million dollars each. And I, I think with the rise of you know the Asian golfers, the particularly you know the Korea and Japan and you know got it, even Lahiri Indian and Thailand is growing. But I, I think potentially if you get a stronger Asian tour and I, I would think Australia should hook into that because it makes sense because it's closer on the time zone. Uh, depending what just happens with the landscape and players, you, you know, you are likely to get better fields and bigger tournaments in, in Australia and the rest of Asia, and that could be part of it. For a guy who's playing, you know, if you're an American, you're playing on the US tour and you're doing well um, and you're playing majors and you probably go over to the British Open if you're top player, et cetera, but you know, getting them to come out, I, I totally get it. It's it's an awfully long way at the end of the season to come out. I'm not sure there's any easy solution unless they get some sort of rocket planes that can do the trip in four hours, which, the, you know, it, it's it's a long way. It's not – it, so it's, that's – the tyranny of distance is a big issue for Australia. We're a long way away. So when we've talked about Liv and, and Greg Norman, you know, here in the States, I, I don't want to say – I mean – I think it's safe to say that the American sports media has now handily vilified him. Um, what what's the what's the sentiment in Australia? I, here he's just been this brash guy. Everyone focuses on his failures. Um, so I, I'd just be curious to hear how what how he's portrayed there and seen as you know in the golf world. This episode of the Living It Up podcast is brought to you by our friends at Zero Restriction. For more than 30 years, Zero Restriction has been the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. Check them out at zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at Zero Restriction for their support of the Living It Up podcast. Well, he's yeah, he's obviously a, he was a godlike figure as a player. So anybody who was around and saw him, like myself, remembers seeing him and he was he just so he was just so exciting i mean i moved going to a tournament at metropolitan in the mid 80s metropolitan golf club on the sand belt probably i think it was about 85 he's he's prime you know i think he was eight under after 16 you know the the crowd was just a people just running to go and watch him you know like it is this sense of excitement no, very similar obviously a tiger you know when tiger when it was playing at his prime yeah, I mean he's he's a he is a polarizing figure. He's you know he's said and done a few strange things. The 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 nude photography was pretty pretty weird. Um, uh, and but I, over here I think it's less so. But there's a bit of that. I think there's an article published in the in one of the newspapers yesterday about this call by Tiger that Greg's got to step down, and they had one of those little polls in the Sydney Morning Herald saying. Do you, do you agree or disagree? And I, and I think, you know, I think 55% said you should stay, 45% said you should stand down. So there, there is a, yeah, there, it's a similar thing here, but I think he's probably, he's got more support here. But he's certainly, yeah, Greg's, Greg's almost like his own state. It's like you got the Vatican City. It's his own state. It's like the, the Shark City. It's like his own 
I mean, he he, he is just such a an enormous figure. Um, and I mean, he flew in to to launch the Adelaide Live event a few weeks ago. I think he's very hands on, from what I gather. And I, I from what I gather, the players on Live, they really he's pretty connected. They enjoy it. I think he sort of talks and they workshop what they want to do. I think the schedule they talk about. I think even little things like, hey, guys, do you want to wear shorts or not? Do you think we should wear shorts? And they have a bit of a meeting and vote. I think he's very connected with that. And that's, you know, which is, it's hard to knock that. But, um, yeah, a lot of people just say probably rightly that Greg, Greg just craves publicity. There's no doubt about that. So yeah, that's where you get the, the the knockers for sure. And and what is Australia's sort of sentiment on live? Yeah, we live. It's a it's a propaganda war. I think we're in. It's a bit. It's a bit like we just went through a state election here, and it just feels awfully like it's like a political propaganda war to an extent. You've got on both sides, so you got both sides pushing it, and I think people are caught in the middle of that. I think um, I think most a lot of golfers are really excited about the idea you're going to get big events back here, and Cam's talking about playing more here and what I was talking about the Asian tour, but then I think there's obviously a sentiment like the rest of the world, oh, it's, you know, funded by the Saudis and, um, you know, there's obviously issues with, with that, but, you know, look to my mind, there's, you know, <laughs> it's difficult to start pointing the finger there. I mean, for example, Qatar Airways is a sponsor of Golf Australia. Um, Australian Open Tennis is a big event in Melbourne. That's sponsored, got one of the major sponsors as a Chinese government company and i mean that that my issue with it is very difficult to start unpicking golf funding and sponsors and the like but yeah, there's certainly an issue here i think it's probably probably not quite as it's probably a little bit more, more support um than in america but it's a similar thing i think i think in the non-golf fraternity in australia there's a lot more negativity about it i think most golfers just think golf's good golf tournaments are good cam's good it's just good to have it and i'm prepared to brush over that i think that some other people are are more are more critical but um so it's it's a pretty interesting time yeah i'd even be curious kind of pre-live what was the perhaps sentiment because there was this moment in time when the australian open was an event that that many folks in the top 50 top 100 of the world may have taken the trip to go play and and i'm curious over the last decade maybe decade plus as the pga tour has become you know, the de facto, you know, number one tour of which there is no one A. Uh, what's been the sentiment even pre-live that, you know, perhaps golf in Australia, but golf, you know, in, in the Australia Asian sort of domain was was being starved to a degree. I'm curious to get your your thoughts on on that and how that may have precipitated where we are today. When, when the Australian was a really big event, in, particularly the late 70s when Jack would come out, that, that was all funded by um, Kerry Packer, who's a very famous uh, larger-than-life Australian entrepreneur, um, who, interestingly, as an aside, I mean, he was a guy who, he was a great disruptor. I mean, he started World Series cricket, um, which completely shook up the establishment of cricket. He had a court case in London, which ended up winning, and it sort of changed the landscape of of cricket, which was seen as a bit old and stayed and introduced a shorter form of the game, one-day cricket, and it sort of changed cricket forever. So that's a, that, that could be a whole podcast on that. But it, it's for a lot of Australians. I mean, I talked to my father, he's 84 and followed golf his whole life and golf administration. 
tournaments and knows all about it. And he he looks and thinks, yeah, this is oh, this is very like World Series cricket, where they they banned the Australian cricketers from playing in the Australian team, and it was all very similar. Then it all settled down and it sorted itself out. So so Packer was a disruptor. He, I mean, yeah, the Australian Open was a big event, you know, late seventies, early eighties, and. Yeah, it's sort of just slowly with it on the vine for various reasons. Look, so some people here would point the finger, probably a little bit unfairly at the PJ Tour and say, well, you know, they don't support golf outside the US other than, say, the President's Cup and the Wraparound Tour, and they've just strangled the Australian Tour. I mean, it's it's a bit more complicated than that. I mean, at the end of the day, the PJ Tour, I guess, is running primarily a tour in America, maybe that that's a moot point. It should the PGA Tour be running events overseas? I know they've played events in closer to America, in in Mexico and the like. But that there is a bit of there's a bit of sentiment here about that. There's an anti PGA Tour sentiment, and they're normally the people who are very pro live. Um, they sort of see that you know bit a bit tribal. Um, but again, I think part of it comes just down to a lot of it's money. It's just simply. It's it's a long way. With, I think with the Tiger Wave, the US tour, it just became bigger and bigger and more and more lucrative. Massive, obviously, sponsor and broadcast rights. The prize money went up, so all the players went there, including the Aussies and Rory and the Europeans. And of course, and good luck to them. Why, why would you not do that? I'm I'm a lawyer. If I get offered a bigger brief fee, I'll I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but. Um, uh, and then it just became harder and harder to get people here. I mean, to pre-live to get, you know, a top player out. I mean, Rory played a couple of Australian Opens uh, a few years back and 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 won one, and he would have been getting a multi-million dollar appearance fee to do it. And they sort of did that, but it becomes very difficult because then you get people saying, well, you're paying Rory that one, I'm getting paid. And, I mean, appearance fees get can get pretty complicated. Um, so it just becomes a money. The prize money is not a lot. They're not paying enough for the appearance fee. The guys are making so much money in America. They just think, oh, well, why, why do I need to go all the way out? It, it has got a great history, the Australian Open, but that's for the Australians. But if you're not Australian, it's not really quite the same. I get that. So, You mentioned Kerry Packer and kind of when the whole live thing started and I, I started to hear, you know, the sort of how Australian golf diminished over time. I ended up just sort of going down the rat hole, reading up on it and seeing like everything you just described and and why it happened. And with the calls for Greg Norman to go and, you know, I'm not going to really address those and those are very poor rhetorics and preconditions to set. Um, but I, I've often thought that Packer seems like a great person. One, They've had interest in Australian golf. I mean, I think they own a, a their own course, uh, yeah. and, and and so they they're obviously huge supporters of Australian sport. Um, has has there been any rumors or murmurs of of Packer getting involved or trying to be a back channel peace talker in this situation? Oh uh, well, not. I mean, so you know, Kerry's Kerry passed away. James has got the. And his daughter Gretel will sort of hold the um hold, you know, control the family money. I mean, James made a big play in casinos and just sold out with that. Yeah, he's not really the same, not really the same sort of guy. There's sort of no one a, a 
equivalent really on the scene. I mean, I guess I read a bit about someone like, you know, the JP McManus in Ireland and he's sort of in the background a bit with Rory. And so you, you get those billionaires who are interested in sport. Um, not seeing one here at the moment, but it, it might, it might emerge. I, th- I think there's, I think there's a lot of play, you know, could come out of the whole live thing, particularly with the teams and the whole angle. Um, so it'd be pretty interesting, but yeah, not hearing anything on that at the moment. Yeah. So on the, on the team have, it was very clear that they sort of formed an Australian team. Yeah. Has there been any chatter about an Australian sponsor or, or some sponsorship for that team? No, only, you know, you hear these rumors about some of the club manufacturers and the like, and that tends to be more some of the Asian teams actually, but I, that's what I understand. But I, I, again, haven't heard, but it wouldn't be surprising. And, and I think that's one thing for Liv that it does connect with say, Australia, having an Australian team. I think it took people a little while to get on, even myself, you said to sort of get on it. I, th- I think by that final event in Doral, when, when the Aussies and Cam's going head to head with DJ and they nearly won. I think it sort of clicked with people then. They they started to really see that team event and how they had to aggregate the scores. And I mean, I look, I thought that was a really fun event, actually. I, th- I think that, you know, really changed it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely, you could see someone, um, and there's a billionaire, Gina Reinhardt is a mining billionaire in Australia who's funded sport and um, not golf yet, but she has been in swimming and she was in netball, though she pulled her money out of that. Um, recently there's a bit of a political fracas about that, but that's the sort of person potentially who could could come into it, make a play. I could see it happening for sure. So one thing, Andrew, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on, and I've, I've talked with George about this in the past as our, as our resident legal expert, uh, it's an interesting time to be a lawyer and a golf fan. It's like, it's, it's almost like your Super Bowl. It seems like everyone is mm. suing everyone in the world of golf. And uh, there yeah. seems to be, you know, a new lawsuit or a new wrinkle that has legal implications this time or that, it, you know, we, we met you and we were fortunate enough to, to sit down and chat with you because of interactions on Twitter. You know, I'm curious to get your perspective as someone that has a voice uh, in a time where, you know, this podcast started because we didn't feel like traditional media outlets were giving live a fair shake. Uh, you seem to be a voice that has, you know, a lot of experience in Australia, in golf as both a fan and, and an administrator, and now, you know, also a lawyer that can weigh in on some of these legal aspects. I'm curious, you know, it, it has this been, you know, fun for you? Has it been uh, a, a challenge? I'm curious to get your perspective on maybe the last year plus as both a uh, a lawyer and, and a golf fan. Well, yeah, look, it has. It's like, any, it's an intersection of, uh, it's an intersection of sort of golf and law. And also it's got that sort of element of the sort of corporate takeover sort of play as well, which I, you know, spent some years in London um, in, in finance doing. So it's, it is interesting. Look, when they had that TRO hearing in California, um, I remember getting up at about 5.30 in the morning to watch it. And I'm like, well, I was like, where, where, what are you doing? I said, oh, this is, you know, <laughs> court here in California. She thought I was like, she thought, oh, this is great. You're earning some earning some money. No, no, no. It's a golf hearing. <laughs> but oh look, it, yeah, it it is interest. It is interesting. I mean, I, I think um, and that's as I touched on with that that was what occurred with with Packer and World Series cricket. He had the case in London 
basically, you know, on restraint of trade, anti-competitive conduct by the International Cricket Council and won. And that sort of broke the back of it. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, it is interesting, that whole play. I mean, I have been a little bit amused by some people saying, oh, well, they can't talk because there's a court case going on. Well, it's like, of course, they can talk and work it out. I mean, it's court cases. Most court cases, uh, you know, you know, get this type they get they don't go to trial they get they settle um this absolutely drives me nuts i i i don't mean to interrupt you but this on twitter has and the like tiger and rory oh well until they drop the law get kick rocks (laughs) the only reason you talk is because there's a lawsuit Uh, it drives me bananas yeah no i'm a bit the same I, i i actually said look if you got i mean i know they talk about the personalities but you know if it was an Australian lawsuit and a judge got it, he'd say this, you know, he'd probably send it to a mediation, get an independent, skilled mediator. You could have the parties in the room. Okay, Shark's there, but the other executives are there. I mean, Ron Cross works for Liv as their tournament director. He used to work for the PJ Tour. I mean, he basically ran the 2019 President's Cup, so he would know those guys. I mean, you could get the two teams there, mediate it, Obviously, well, maybe the DP World Tour as well. You know, you could get a term sheet. I mean, it, you could sort out a deal if you really wanted to. I, I sort of thought that might happen, you know, but it seems like that's – it will happen, I think, but it seems like it's further away than it was. Um, I think I think actually the one that people are missing, and I, I, was, I was thinking of doing an article on it to post, is the, is the UK court case in February. And uh, because that's the one where they, 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 Polter was the lead plaintiff and won the interim order uh, to be able to play on the DP World Tour. And, and the, even though it was an interim hearing, it was an, it was an arbit- sports arbitration with a retired UK judge, he, he was pretty scathing of Pelly in it, that the sort of his comments and obviously showed a bias. So that's being heard in February. It's a bit simpler than the US case. I mean, those guys really just saying, look, if we satisfy the minimum requirements of the DP World Tour and play the minimum number of tournaments, et cetera, um, we should be able to play. The fact that we're going off and playing live and other guys are going off and playing the PGA Tour sort of irrelevant. I mean, it's a, it's it's got a lot of merit. I do, I, so if they were to win that case, it would mean, obviously, that the live players could all play uh, the DP World Tour if they're qualified. And that's what, you know, Cam winning last week, that was a DP World Tour sanctioned event. So so if that court case in Feb went the way of the players, someone like Cam, I know he's obviously got to manage his, his schedule, but he could play live events, majors, and, you know, play enough DP World Tour events, maybe that Wentworth and the top ones, so, so I, th- I think that that's going to be pretty interesting because that, that will, if they win, that's going to make live pretty attractive to some of the UK European players. I, I would have thought. I was going to say I, I've been saying this for a while that I I think Keith wants to lose because yeah, he gets yeah. the, he gets the best of both worlds. He got yeah, his yeah. he got a strategic alliance in his back pocket. He he loses in court and goes to Jane and be like, "Hey man, I tried my hardest and law's law. I got to do what the judge says." And then he gets the live guys. He's got his PGA deal. And he now actually, in a weird move of chess pieces, sits in a much different position than he does today. Oh, for sure. I mean, I heard through 
back channels without saying where. But, you know, for example, that Wentworth event, which is obviously one of the prime events on that DP World Tour and, and you know, BMW is sponsoring. And, you know, BMW is throwing a lot of money into European golf. If you're Mr. BMW sponsoring, you're not going to be too happy if they're excluding, well, Keimer to start with as a German BMW ambassador, but Poulter, Westwood, you know, like those guys are mainstays. And I actually thought that Wentworth event was really fun. I mean, this is where probably I'm showing part of my personality, but, you know, the DP World Tour were trying to do the sort of bit of a ban on on the live players. And then I'm watching it. And when Patrick Reed, hit the front. I'm thinking, oh, this is fantastic. Now they're just going to have to <laughs> show him. Um, I, I I just thought that event, uh, I sort of added a bit of, um, you know, it added a bit to that event in a way. There's a little bit of tension there. I, I know that's not all good, but it added a bit to it to me. Um, and so I agree. I, I totally agree with you. Pelly might well want to, you might send out a junior lawyer to just sort of, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. The the US case is yeah it's a lot more complicated. I've I've read some of the documents. It was, it was pretty interesting reading the complaint. Um, obviously, US antitrust laws. Yeah, there's some similarities to to competition law here, but it's different. It's yeah, it's a complicated case. Um, big stakes though. I mean, I, I, this seems to me as a lawyer, people say, oh well, you know in the you know, two ago there and they win and this and that. I'm thinking, gee, you know, you go to a trial. I know they had a good hearing at the TRO, but you go to a trial and if you're lost, man, like particularly with, um, you know, the government investigation in the background as well, pretty high stakes. They were, but interested, you, you'd be closer to it than me in the, in the, in the law there. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, I when I saw, again, it's just the lawyer, when and and I said it and I, it came correct. Um, the the two firms that handled it, uh, Live had Quinn Emanuel, which is a, a absolute top shelf litigation firm, and then but the PGA Tour picked up Kecker and Van Ness, and I actually started practicing law in the Bay Area and very familiar with Kecker. And as soon as I heard, I didn't know who had who when they just I'd seen on Twitter. It's Kecker versus Emmanuel or, or Quinn Emmanuel. Yeah. And and my first response was, you know, minus 250 on Kecker. And sure enough, the, the PGA Tour had him and the judge, uh, she she had no no interest in hearing. And I think in hearing it, she she bore down to some pertinent parts for the live guys. Like you're not restrained from competing. You're getting paid handsomely to compete. You just don't necessarily like the terms that you have to compete on. Um, yeah, and I share with Brian and Billy. I actually have a case in front of her currently, um, so it's uh, it's kind of a, a small world uh, with with what's going on. So very recently, there was a uh, I think it was a Golf Digest article talking about events that got people kicked out of clubs, and and you'd comment you'd been the the chairman and captain of Royal Melbourne during your time. Is there anything you can share about what would get someone in very deep water at Royal Melbourne. Well, we we didn't have anything too uh, interesting there. I, I think it um, probably you know I mean you know being 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 rude to staff at Royal Melbourne that's that's pretty much the the main sin there. And 
Um, so yeah, there's been some people had some issues with that, but yeah, look, they're genuinely, they're genuinely a pretty, pretty well behaved bunch. Not like, I don't know if you saw that video that went viral about Cranbourne Golf Club. Yes, uh, that was amazing. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at it. It sort of wasn't a great look, but I, I did when I saw it at the end when the guy took the practice swing, I'm thinking, and then he just chunked it and threw his club. And I was actually crying with, <laughs> crying with laughter at the end of it. Um, yeah, I don't think that's indicative of how uh, Melbourne golf is generally genuinely played. Yeah, I mean, my, look, most golfers here are it, you know, they're pre pretty pretty respectful, pretty respectful bunch. We're pretty tight on membership criteria too, so you know, probably most people have had a fair vetting before they come in. So I, I don't have any stories that uh, of that nature, but I wouldn't mind being a fly on the wall of that disciplinary uh, hearing. Uh, right. I do know a few. I mean, a few clubs have had. We haven't had it. There have been a few clubs in Melbourne that had some cheating, you know, store in club champs and things, and it's ended up turning into a bit of a mini trial. I've got a friend who's a who's a barrister had to chair one of those, and they bought lawyers, and there's this whole dispute about whether he placed his ball on the raft. And I mean, you know, and in the it, end, they may. Patrick Reed, it's a member of an Australian club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he he copped it. He copped the fair bit in the President's <laughs> Cup, actually. Um, although he was due, he played unbelievable. I mean, he must be have a very strong mental game because he was copying. He he on the Sunday of the President's Cup, he played unbelievable golf. I think it was seven under after eight. Well, oh. um, <laughs> yeah, the excavator. Yeah, and my my last question is Vegemite. That's a complete like goof on visitors, right? Like no one there actually eats it, do they? Yeah, yeah, we all eat it. We all eat it. What? Yep. Um, well, most people do because you're sort of bought up on it. Look, the problem I see you guys and overseas people, you put too much on, like it's axle grease. You, you just got to put a little, just dab a little bit on. It's actually really good for a hangover. You've got a bit of a hangover, veggie, a little bit of Vegemite on toast. So I think it's got a bit of vitamin B. It might sort you out on the way to the course if you're a bit, a bit rusty. Good to know. I, yeah. I, I've been in that condition a, a handful of times. <laughs> Could be the yeah. most useful thing you've gotten out of a podcast yet, George. It, it very well might be. I, I just have to figure out if I can find it here in the States now that I know. <laughs> have that secret weapon. So, so I wanted to maybe shift gears a little bit. Uh, like George said, and I share this same sentiment, when I saw Royal Melbourne on at the 2019 President's Cup, it was just you know seriously fantastic in terms of the beauty of the golf course, the strategic nature of the golf course, just seeing the ball roll on the ground. I think it opened a lot of people's eyes to kind of that sand belt you know, style of play. I, I'm yeah. curious, many of us know sort of the big ones. You'd mentioned Kingston Heath and, and Royal Melbourne and, and Victoria Golf Club. What are the other courses that, you know, let's say Billy wanted to sponsor the Living It Up podcast host down on a trip to uh, to Australia. Uh, what should we go play on our on our 10 day itinerary down down under? Yeah, well, I mean, if you just, you know, there, there's if you just want to play sandbelt courses, um, you know, there's about there's about 10, you know, there's about 10 of the, those are the top ones. Uh, I had a UK friend who came out a few years ago, Ken Golfer, and he played a lot of sandbelt golf, and by the end of it, I think he couldn't remember whether the hole was a Kingston Heath or Metropolitan or Victoria. It was all a blue. I mean, they're 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 quite similar. I mean, they're all great. I mean, you've, you know, you've got you've got two courses at Royal Melbourne, 
you got two courses at Peninsula, which is north and south, which is a brilliant course. You know, you got Vic, Kingston Heath, Metro, Huntingdale, Yarra Yarra, um, Woodlands, Long Island, Commonwealth. Don't think I've missed out any. In fact, there's a Sandbelt, um, bit of a plug. Just before Christmas, I'm not sure it's going to be broadcast, but they're having a Sandbelt Invitational event that's been created by Mike Clayton and Jeff Ogilvy. And it's on, I had it last year, it's on four Sandbelt courses. So it's like Royal Melbourne, Yarra, um, Peninsula and Kingston Heath. So that's that's pretty neat. So you can, that's just before Christmas. They've got quite a good field, men and, men and women. So you could do that Sandbelt experience and you've got, you know, 10 days of golf. Um, you've got some great golf down the peninsulas, um, only an hour or so out of Melbourne down the Mornington Peninsula is the National. That's got a fabulous Greg Norman course, the Mooner National. It was when Bob Harrison was designing for Norman, and it's just a fabulous course. The old course is a Robert Trent Jones. It's, it's brilliant, different to anything you ever see. And then you, there's a, well, they just redone the course. Tom Doak redid their Gunnamatta course, and that's a great Doak style design, strategic, big fairways. And then the other down the other peninsula, there's Thirteenth Beach and Vaughan Heads and courses. So most most people doing a ten day trip would tend to do say four or five days in Melbourne and then do the go down to King Island, which is between Victoria and Tasmania. <clears throat> and you, you've got um, uh, Cape Wickham and Ocean Dunes there. And then on Tas Tasmania, there's Bumbogle. It's got two courses there. They got a Doke, a Doke Mike Clayton course. Bumbergle Dunes and Lost Farm um, is um, Crawl Crenshaw. And, the, and then there's a course being designed in Hobart um, at the moment that's a um, DeVries Clayton um, course, just 20 minutes out of uh, out of Hobart. I think it's going to be open next year. So, and that's looking amazing on the photos on social media if you go on. There, so I think, uh, yeah. So look, there's there's a great itinerary, haven't it? And then New Zealand's got some unbelievable courses too. So I mean, Doke's done quite a lot of work out here. Um, you know, and St Andrews Beach down the peninsula. I didn't mention that's Doke. Tara Edie in New Zealand is is a Tom Doke course. I played that in 2020, and that 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 just it's about an hour out of Auckland. That just blew me away. Oh, that was just phenomenal. Um. So yeah, if you're going to prepare to get on the plane and make the trip, so there's there's so many different itineraries um, you could do. Yeah, I think our ten day itinerary just became a a, a month long itinerary. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm curious, you know, coming out of uh, COVID, obviously put a damper on travel for everybody. But now as we're sort of emerging out of out of the COVID pandemic and folks are starting to take to the air, are you starting to see an uptick in in foreign travel? Folks folks planning a, a ten day or a two week itinerary down down under. Yeah, I mean the the director of golf at our club told me the other day. I think ne next year, um, we you know we sort of have certain slots for international visitors, and next year they're you know already ninety percent sold out. I mean to to internationals sort of American, Asian, yeah, UK less so UK, but yeah. So I think pe people are sort of and Australians likewise are travelling because it's sort of been you know quarantined for for that period of time, I wanted to get back into overseas travel. So I think there's a bit of a surge on that, which is all good. Because as I said, the whole 
tourism here. It's a it's a bit of a play. I mean, obviously it's a you know for the clubs here they they you know they make um, the the clubs make money out of having um, these events. I mean, I, I'm going with a group for the live event in Adelaide. We're doing a weekend over there. To, we'll see the golf. We're also playing over in Adelaide. They've got some great courses there, Royal Adelaide and Kyonga, and those those clubs is booked out with with interstate international as well which so they they sort of there's a spin-off there which they is good for them as well as american golfers we we've seen melbourne and we hear about the sand belt and when i when i heard that Liv was going to adelaide that that struck me just a little bit and i was curious and if and if you can share did Liv make yep. overtures to try to like get a, a venue in the sand belt or do they always look to adelaide yeah well it's pretty interesting it's a pretty interesting story, I think. So, but basically, as I touched on, I mean, the Vic, it was sort of early this year, the Victorian government signed for the PGA Tour to bring the 28 and 2040, which seems an awful long way away, President's Cups here and paid a lot of money. And I think it's fair to say, you know, they're pretty aligned with, um, the government here's aligned with the PJ Tour. I mean, that wouldn't stop Liv coming to a club. The problem is, you know, you sort of, it's a lot easier you got government support because, you know, there's, there's issues like traffic and major events and the like. And I think what happened was that, you know, South Australia, South Australia actually had the Women's Australian Open have been over there for the last few years pre-pandemic. And that, for what we discussed before, been sort of shifted to Melbourne. And so they're a little bit, peeve with that and they haven't had a major men's event for years so i think they saw an opportunity and so their premier came out and said oh we think lives great pj Tour hasn't been doing anything for australian golf and he went in the front foot and i think you know uh rolled out the red carpet uh for live so there's a bit of a pitch so the australian states and the government sort of these all these major sporting events they tend to there's a rivalry there they pitch for them it's sort of it's interesting. So the Australian Open golf was in been in New South Wales a lot over the last 10 or 15 years because the New South Wales government had pitched and paid to have it there. I think I think that's very different to what happens in the States. I don't think you get anything quite like that. I don't think the governments fund it. I might you correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, that's it's a bit of different here. But there's sort of a rivalry here for the major events. That are, yeah, the yeah, government. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't have anything really similar to to government funding. You know, professional. Uh, I mean, building stadiums and stuff, tax breaks, and 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 that kind of stuff. Maybe um, for for team of team sports. You know, baseball, football, soccer, hockey, that that basketball, but but for golf, you know, not 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 as much. Um, like 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 you're saying there, I I will tell you that it's interesting to to think about you know you're talking the 28 and and 40 Presidents Cups and the fact that we're scheduling things out this far you know and have U.S. Opens to like 2051 you know with with host courses scheduled and that kind of thing but but the PGA Tour doesn't do much by accident and and so it doesn't actually surprise me to hear that like they kind of did that before Liv was able to get in and do something. Um, you, you, you know, so I also thought it was interesting speaking of the, you know, live coming to Australia, you, you, you kind of brushed over this uh, earlier just in passing, but, but you, you mentioned they signed a four-year deal like that. That's, that's pretty telling yeah. to me. Um, that That is, uh, yeah. 
you, you know, certainly the, the the PGA Tour tried to make live not start, you, you, you know, and kind of thought they had it squashed from ever even like starting, you know, earlier this summer in, in, in the U.S. or in, in London when they played their first event in June. But but then they also tried to like slow it down and didn't think it would get to where it's is if that makes sense right try to you know deter players from from signing and stuff but but a four-year commitment to to australia um i've said it all along is that they have a five or ten year you know runway to make this thing profitable not kind of a 18 to 24 months like maybe most businesses and so that's what makes it actually potentially possible um, live being potentially, you know, possible to get to profitability is because they have a longer runway than, than, than a normal startup, so to speak. And, and that, that, that four-year deal is, is, is just fascinating to me. I think that just tells you how, how much, um, there's going to have to be a, a global solution for golf. Yeah. I, I thought that was pretty interesting too. And I mean, on just, I think, cause a lot of international people don't, that they hear a lot about Melbourne and not Adelaide, but the the courses in Adelaide are absolutely fantastic. I really, there's Royal Adelaide and Kuyonga have held um, Australian Opens, and uh, the Grange has got 36 holes. I mean, the Grange is where Shark won his first uh, ever tournament. His four, I think, fourth tournament as a pro back in the I think it was '76. It's got 36 holes, which so it's got the layout for uh, you know the space for a tournament. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty about Live for next year, but one thing I can tell you for sure is that the Live Adelaide event will be huge. I mean, there <clears throat> I sort of can pretty much personally start to count. Yeah, they've already sold thirty-five thousand tickets or more now. <clears throat> All that my sister lives in Adelaide as a golfer. She said everyone there is going. The town's booked out already. I mean, so it, it, it will have a huge crowd and and. <clears throat> Will be you know will be very successful there now. I know whether that translates. So it'll be interesting to see how all the other events go. But you know you read on social media, oh no one's there, no one cares. Well, yeah, that I'd certainly say that won't happen in the Adelaide event. Um, what happens? With yeah, Bork? I think that's one of the things. I think that's one of the things that as a you know we've talked about it on on our podcast is that as a from a U.S. perspective, we we don't give golf enough credit as a global game. Just, just the average U.S. Uh, fan kind of thinks that golf almost only exists inside of the United States of America, you know, except for maybe the Open Championship, in which they would call the British Open if they even knew what it was. And and so, I, I think it's 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 interesting to hear that you know that Australia is really gearing up for this and it's going to be a big event because I I do think that's something Liv is intentionally doing is going after some of these international markets. Australia, Asia, you know, et cetera, especially where the PGA Tour is not. Well, I, I guess with Adelaide, they'll get, you know, you've got <clears throat> and, uh, the Australian market is not huge. I mean, you know, you got 25 million people, a lot of golfers over. You've got the <clears throat> Asian time zone. It's it's good, like Japan, for example, it's good. But if they do a shotgun sort of late morning Adelaide time, it's in America, it's going to be, you know, evening Primetime East Coast, you know, it's pretty good watching. I don't know, but I love watching golf at night. You know, if your wife goes off to read a book and you can 
get on the couch. I mean, it's evening golf is. Oh, I, I will tell you, it was it was one of the huge draws during the President's Cup to be able to watch that happen at night. It was it was a fantastic viewing window, and we always say, yeah. you know, some of the best golfing windows are things like you know Kapalua, you know, early in the season when it's still cold on on the the eastern seaboard of the U.S. You know, we love watching that uh, in in the evening time zone. Um, I wanted to try to to wrap us up, and I mentioned, you know, just in terms of the timing of this interview coming between the Australian PGA, the Australian Open. One, Andrew, really thank you for your time. It's been awesome to get uh, a perspective of someone down under and, you know, give us a, you know, that perspective of of something that is tied almost, you know, inextricably for better or worse because of Greg Norman being the CEO of Live Golf. You tend to see, you know, the Australian, uh, you know, nation almost like wrapped up into it. And so I, I think you guys have had to deal with a lot, uh, perhaps unintentionally. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this one last, you know, comment and question. We're keeping you from the first round of the Australian Open that's happening right now. I did peek at the leaderboard. I don't know if you've had a peek as well, but I wanted to get out of here with your prediction on both the men's and the women's side. Who is going to walk away with with the Australian Open Championship? Yeah, okay. Well, I had a bit of a, a peek. Oh, okay. On the men, I'm going to give you um, one of the guys leading, David McAluzzi. You wouldn't have heard of. He's he's a young guy. He, he would be a, call him a, a, a roughie. But he's a phenomenal player and hasn't had much of a chance because of the pandemic to play. He finished pretty well last week. As a roughie, you know, he could have a really good uh, crack at it. I know this is a boring choice, but Cam on the sand belt, on the the greens are fast and quick and the the heavy bunkering. He's just going to be awfully hard to to beat, um, I think, uh, uh, on it. And in terms of... uh, the women, um, well, you know, Minji Lee is is phenomenal. Um, and in fact, look, in terms of the men, probably throw her brother Min Woo Lee in on the men, on the men's side. Um, he's a chance uh, as well. So um, yeah, that would be that would be my picks. Um, I haven't seen the women's leaderboard um, as yet, but I'll. Um, I'll be able to go out this afternoon and have a better better update. I think the weather's going to be pretty good. We've had terrible weather last few months, but I think it's going to be solid. So hopefully, look, hopefully it's just close. Yeah, well, thank thanks again, and uh, I'm I'm excited to watch this uh, this unfold for the next few days. It should be quite a quite a fun event. Well, hey guys, that was a that was a treat uh, to discuss with Andrew. You know his perspective, the Australian perspective on a number of things, and there were you know a bunch of ways that conversation went. I, I think one thing that hit home for me was we had this discussion about why did live golf choose Adelaide versus maybe these more famed sandbelt courses. And it was interesting to understand kind of government investment into golf and how, you know, the state of Victoria and their investment into the president's cups in 28 and even 2040, you know, may have weighed into sort of the ability for live to even come and, and sort of carve out, you know, part of their schedule and, and agree agreements with courses. So a lot of interesting, you know, perspective from him as someone on the ground in Australia, you know, living this day to day. And we, as, as we've said in the U S like we tend to get a little bit U S centric. It was awesome to to talk with Andrew and get like that global perspective of what folks are are hearing. I'll pass it to you, George. What, what were your big takeaways from this one? No, I, I, I echo all of those things. Um, he was just awesome to talk to you. I mean, given his stature in Australian golf, I, he just seems like a great down to earth guy. Um, and if you sat next to him and had a beer, you'd never know that he 
was all those prestigious things. Um, but also just his thoughts on the lawsuits, uh, particularly the DP one. We had talked about it a little bit on some previous episodes that maybe Keith doesn't want to win. And, and, you know, hearing him kind of echo that and realize like, oh no, like the chessboard actually is setting up very handsomely for Keith to lose and come out as a big winner um, was really interesting to hear. So I, I, I thought he was fantastic. Couldn't agree more. He was totally just fun to talk to. I mean, we could have talked to him for another hour, you know, about, about the state of Australian golf to the, you know, state of us golf, his, his breadth of knowledge um, about the global game of golf was just fascinating to me. And, and, and um, truly one of the more thoughtful characters um, and, and personalities, not only in Australia, but probably in the global game of golf. Yeah. And, and one last anecdote that I thought was really interesting is that he's already planned a trip with his friends to go to the live event in Adelaide and that it is apparently. Yeah, but nobody's going, up. George. Nobody, nobody, <laughs> well, nobody goes. That's what, that's I, what they tell us. Apparently Andrew has receipts to, uh, to, to refute that, that comment. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the sentiment is they've, they've sold, you know, 30,000 plus tickets and they're opening up more seats. So I, I, I'm excited for, for the live schedule to actually be finalized. I think it'll be interesting to see where they go in the U S and abroad, but obviously they have a few of these events like Mayakoba, like Australia that are already nailed down and they're already selling tickets again. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see the the global sentiment of, of these events as they travel around the globe in, in this sort of first year of live in many ways, they've talked about this as the beta year and, you know, the launch year is coming up. So we'll, we'll see how yeah, that goes. He, he, uh, he also talked about kind of the propaganda piece of the, of almost like, you know, we asked him like how the, the sentiment in Australia on live was and, and, and his, his comments about propaganda, I thought were just spot on, you know, that you were trying to sift through the kind of the media messaging of, of how, you know, X is bad and Y is good and et cetera, et cetera. So he, he was just kind of spot on with all those thoughts. One final note, adding to my list of things to keep straight, um, Carrie Packer, rest in peace. Yeah, mistakes were made often by George. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, we get caught up on our weekly episodes. There's so much going on in the world of golf. It is awesome to to actually just take a step back and to interview someone and sort of collectively hear, hear from them, get their perspective. You know, this is with the winter upon us, hopefully one of many interviews. Uh, I won't confirm any names, but we, we hopefully have some really good interviews on the docket for the coming uh, weeks and months. And so we look forward to, uh, to hearing more of those perspectives in the weeks and months ahead. And with that, guys, I will bid you adieu. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.